This is episode number 21 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This particular episode isn't going to focus on a developer technology or concept, but more in line with a possible career option. As many of you know, my full-time job is not working on the Polyglot developer, even though that one day I would hope that uh, it does become an option for me. Actually, my full-time job is being a developer advocate for a company. When I'm out at events, people often ask me, what is a developer advocate? What do I do full time? With me on the show today, I have Matthew Ravel, who is a developer evangelist and somebody I have a lot of respect for in the space. We're going to explore what exactly developer evangelism is um, and some of the common phrasing behind it, uh, and then what it takes to actually become a developer evangelist or why you might even want to be one or have one at your company. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with Matt Ravel, and we're going to be talking about developer evangelism uh, in the kind of engineering or marketing space. Um, But before we get into that, I want to give Matt a chance to introduce himself. So how are you doing, Matt? Hey, Nick. Thanks uh, very much for for having me on your podcast. It's uh, it's great, great to be here. Um, I'm, I'm doing very well, thanks. And, uh, if you want an introduction from me, then, uh, well, how's this? Um, so I've been doing developer community type things professionally for about 12 years now. And that came out of, uh, being reasonably active in, in the UK open source community. So, um, with some friends, I used to run a grassroots open source conference in the UK and also a podcast. This was, you know, uh, 15 years ago now. Um, and, uh, yeah, after that, I, I ended up working at canonical, the, the Ubuntu people then for, um, a couple of NoSQL database startups. And, uh, since then I've been running a consultancy called Hoopy, uh, where we help companies to understand developer audiences and understand how to make developer targeted products that are, actually thoughtful and give a good experience um and so yeah that's about it really so without getting ahead of ourselves would you say that you were in this kind of developer relations space before it was kind of a thing i don't know about that i mean a lot of people have been doing developer community and in the old days calling it technical evangelism you know thinking back to Guy Kawasaki at Apple in the 90s. But um, I don't think people were calling it DevRel when I was at Canonical, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've been around for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfectly good. You've got quite a resume built up. Um, so kind of let's, let's jump into this. So when somebody talks about developer evangelism, what exactly do they mean? So... Really, the the big secret is that it's it's largely speaking just a specialized form of marketing. I think um, that doesn't make it a bad thing. Um, there there are two things about developer targeted products that mean that they tend to need a different approach than traditional 
B2B or or even B2C marketing can offer. And those are that developers tend to be an interesting audience. You know, obviously, we are thankfully beginning to see more diversity in in software engineers. Um, But generally speaking, developers are people who are cynical uh, um, or skeptical, let's say, because they're paid to use their knowledge of quite arcane things at times um, in order to um, help companies, usually, um, make more money from from these somewhat niche things. Um, and so every time that a developer makes a technology choice, they're actually putting their reputation on the line. So you have this group of people who need to be somewhat careful because for them, every every recommendation they make every choice they make is kind of working towards their their resume really um and then on the other side developer targeted products aren't like ordinary products you know a lot of big ticket items that companies buy are, are bought by specialist procurement people whose job is to be wined and dined and then to choose the best the best product whereas a lot of technology decisions are made by the people who end up using the product themselves. And so they tend to be very involved decisions, you know, like the choice between, let's say, let's, you know, let's talk about NoSQL databases. The choice between Cassandra and MongoDB wouldn't be immediately obvious to a layperson, And a lot of developers, you know, have to look into it and, dig through the weeds to understand the differences between, say, Cassandra and React, you know, two similar NoSQL databases. Um, and so really that complexity of developer-targeted products and the mindset of developers tends to mean that you can't just go ahead and use normal marketing where you're selling a dream. You know, I saw an advert for Caterpillar Diggers the other day, and it was very fancy and it was all about the general savings and so on or that the company would make but it was really comparing caterpillar diggers to ballet dance and i'm not sure that that kind of aspirational messaging really goes over well with developers because a lot of the time with a developer-targeted product, it either passes the test suite or it doesn't. You know, it does the thing or it doesn't. There's no room for, for a lot of the time, you know, comparing it to ballet, for example. So developer evangelism, developer relations, developer adv- advocacy, whatever you want to call it, is really a very specialized niche form of marketing that focuses on building longer-term relationships with developers in order that they trust your product, trust your company, and trust you personally to give them good technical advice and hopefully, um, in doing so, persuade them to use your product if it's the right thing for them. So that was quite a long answer, but there you go. No, 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 that's great. Um, Before we get into the trust side of things on how you can get them to trust you as a developer evangelism, you threw out a lot of kind of buzzwords, I guess you can say. So you started with developer community, developer evangelism, developer advocacy, developer relations. So are those truly all the same thing? 
when you when you hear those terms thrown around? Um, I, I think that language is generally, you know, that there are two schools of thought about language. Uh, one is prescriptive and one is descriptive. And I think really that particularly with English, you just have to go along with how people use it a lot of the time. And what I mean by that is that people use them interchangeably, at least developer evangelism and advocacy. Um, so, yeah, they're the same thing, I think. Developer community is different. I think there is a specialism around community. And then we start getting into the open source world as well. Um, but broadly speaking, they're the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree t- with you as well. And I, I throw them out uh totally randomly as far as how, how I how I call them. Um, so when, when someone mentions developer advocacy to me, uh, I think of it as the same as the other ones as well. Uh, so in, in regards to gaining the trust of these companies who are trying to make these decisions, um, that requires some kind of technical ability, right? I, I, I broadly would say yes. I mean, some kind of technical ability, absolutely. Um, but there is a big debate around whether developer relations people need to be uh, have a background in development. Um, and I think that it really it depends, right? So there isn't just one kind of job. We were talking then about whether you know advocacy versus evan- evangelism, but actually I think there we're starting to see certain distinct roles uh, crystallize within the DevRel world. There's a developer advocate slash evangelist, the person who is the face and, uh, you know, kind of first point of contact for developers of that company. Um, And so if they're producing demos, if they're going out and having conversations at meetups or giving talks at conferences or whatever, you know, I think if they don't have a good technical ability, then they're not going to be able to, for a start, understand or explain the product, and they're not going to appear credible. Um, and it does vary from product to product. If you have a very simple API that just kind of doesn't do a lot, then maybe you can get away with it. But I think there are also, you know, there are community managers. And let me be very clear, neither of those jobs is one or the other better than the other. Um, but community managers, um, I think, get a bad rap. Um, they tend to, companies tend not to understand what to do with them. But they have a really, really important role, I believe, which is in making sure that there is a process by which people's achievements and contributions can be recognized and advanced. Um, a lot of companies just, you know, they, they either think that, community management is social media or field marketing and it's neither of those things um it i think is a discipline in its own right and then there is the developer educators um you know if you're really specializing in a team because you've got a lot of people then having people whose job is to write the tutorials and the blog posts as opposed to being on the road it that's really that's really uh that's really viable for some companies and can be very useful um and then you can have on the more developer experience side, you can have developer experience designers who bring in a lot of what comes from the UX world and make sure that the documentation, the onboarding, the API design, the SDK design and so on are all actually as good as they can be and provide a really great developer experience. So 
do you need to be technical to work in DevRel? No, but I think if you're going to be any of those roles, and, and I include community manager in this, if you're going to be credible in any of those roles, then you need to at least understand the technology and the technology environment that you're working in. Do you have to write code every day? No. But if you have never written code, you should probably give it a go because I, I think it's just a, a courtesy really to the people that you're trying to win over. So you're saying that these three groups, the com- the, the community manager, uh, the content developer, and the developer experience, they all fall under the realm of developer relations or are they strictly very Broadly different? speaking, yeah. And I'd add in developer advocate as well as, as a separate thing. I think developer advocate is... Um, more outward facing, whereas developer educator can be just content production. But yeah, I think they are DevRel. Um, now, and I think if you have, oh, go on. sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, if you have like a dedicated DevRel department, then all of these things would fall under there. And, but, you know, a lot of companies, they will have one or two people at most, and they will expect them to do all of those roles in one person. Is that in your mind, the best approach to it uh, for, for an organization uh, to have uh, kind of this very generic role uh, in developer relations? Uh, I don't think it's the best approach, but it's the approach that is often affordable. Um, so at Hoopy, we've been working with a lot of very traditional organizations lately. You know, banks uh, have been um, uh, cropping up a lot as clients for us. And you know, big old companies who are realizing that they have to do something with developers, um, but they don't quite know what, um, or they don't quite know how to approach them. Um, And one thing that I've noticed about these companies is they are already making these distinctions themselves. You know, they, they throw a lot of money into creating and launching an API, and you'll find that they have someone whose job is to do this and someone whose job is very specifically to do that. And so they're used to this kind of specialization because they have the money. But if you're a 10 person startup and you know, you've got a bit of, you know, maybe you're lucky you've got your a round. Um, you're probably only going to have one person and they need, they need to be a generalist. Got it. No, that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned how, in some circumstances, there might be a dedicated developer relations uh, team in the organization. Um, who do they typically report to at a higher level? Um, I, I mean, personally, I've heard uh, stories where people report to engineering or marketing or, or et cetera. What, what are some of the scenarios that you've run into? Um, the, the, the typical ones seem to be marketing, product, or engineering. Um, I'm seeing a bit more product these days, but um, I've kind of changed my own view on what's the best one. I used to think that reporting into engineering was was best because culturally the, 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 the people were aligned. But what I have noticed and, and from working in a team that reported into uh, engineering uh, for a while, I, I, I noticed that even if culturally they were aligned, um, the the goals of engineering weren't aligned with the goals of DevRel. And so DevRel would often be a, um, not an afterthought, but just uh, what do we do with this group uh, kind of thought. Um, and that particular 
team got shuffled off into product, I believe. Um, and I don't think product's the right one either. You know, it, it, it's a marketing function. Um, if you have a terrible C- CMO, um, then it's probably best to be elsewhere. But if you have a good CMO um, and a good organization generally, then the goals of DevRel fit mostly with marketing. Now, I think Datastax, who are one of the commercial sponsors of Cassandra, they, I believe, have a dedicated DevRel function that reports into the CEO. Um, but that's quite rare. Yeah, I don't think I've heard that one before, but that that would be an interesting um, subject right there. Um, so taking a little bit of a turn, so we, we kind of have a high level of developer evangelism. Um, I want to know what a de- developer evangelist does day to day, because I, I see a lot of people, they're, they're talented developers, they're talented at marketing, they're trying to figure out what they want to do uh, as far as their career. And I always say, you know what? Maybe developer evangelism is for you. So, what what does a typical day in a developer evangelist's life look like? One of the most important things is getting under the skin of the product and being able to articulate how that product will solve a certain set of problems in the lives of developers. And the way that you articulate that is through blog posts, through creating videos, tutorials, podcasts. Um, you know, whatever content it is, but also writing talks and getting out there and speaking at conferences, meetups. You know, it's not fun, but doing booth duty sometimes is part of it. Um, but I, I, I think the precise mix of what you do will come down to the strategy that you have. And this is where a lot of organizations fall down. They don't have a DevRel strategy. Um there's a lot of cargo culting goes on. And, you know, Twilio are probably the 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 the, the poster child for DevRel right now. Um, and they have been for a while. And even now I see the other day I saw someone post on LinkedIn something about Twilio, uh, Twilio's valuation with a comment of how can anyone say that developer relations doesn't work or something like that. Um but the truth is that what worked for Twilio at that time will not necessarily work for your company now. So the precise mix of what you do um, as a DevRel person will be dictated by the developer relations strategy that you have. Um, so, it, you know, some DevRel teams don't go on the road at all. Uh, and I think that's an increasingly sensible thing for some companies because going on the road is expensive and the ROI is, is pretty hard to prove a lot of the time. Um, and, and so, you know, you might be someone who's just doing content or you might be doing content and a lot of individual uh, relationship building with, with champions in your community, but that can all be done online. Um, so it does, it does, it does differ from company to company, but, that broad mix of content and in-person stuff is is what you're doing. There'll be some coding probably, you know, this is why I say you can't really get away without having some technical ability because being able to put together a, a blog post that features some code that demonstrates how your product works is, is often quite important. Um, yeah, and there'll be a lot of liaison as well with other parts of the company. As a relatively new function, it's important to... 
constantly be telling the story of why your company were sorry why your uh why your team is important and what it is that you're bringing back to the company um that internal reporting is really really important but yeah that 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 that's the that's the mix really so i have a question then for you based on on these requirements and and the strategy of the developer relations team so say say i'm a talented developer i am good at uh um, conveying my thoughts and uh, experience through tutorials on, on a blog or, or online content. But you know what? I'm not a great presenter. I'm a very nervous presenter. Would I be able to cut it as a developer evangelist? If, if you're not a good presenter? Yeah. Um, or, in, or maybe the backwards. Maybe you're a great presenter, um, but you know what? Your, your ability to write is not so great. I'm just trying to pick and pull from your brain here yeah, on on yeah. what um, what what's passable for developer evangelism um, in case you don't Look, qualify all around. I, I so I'd say that there are two things to consider. One is that there are lots of companies right now chasing DevRel people, and the truth is that most of those companies cannot compete with the rumored war chests that Microsoft, Google and Amazon have for hiring DevRel people. So they ha- they'll have to compromise somewhere a lot of the time, or they'll, you know, they'll have to uh, offer something other than just pure hard cash. Um, I think in the scenario you presented, if it's a good presenter who doesn't have the content versus someone with the content but isn't a great presenter, um, I'd say, it's the content and the understanding and the ability to make that relatable to individual developers is probably more important than being a great presenter who who has nothing to back it up. I mean, I think we've all worked with someone who um, is very charismatic, um, is very well known, um, but doesn't have anything to back it up and kind of relies on other people to to give them the, uh, the 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 substance, and really that's not sustainable. Um, so I think ideally, you know, you got to be an all rounder. But if you fall down on something, I think you can be taught how to how to be a better presenter, and people can overcome nerves. And one way that you overcome nerves with presenting specifically is by having something really great to say. And so if you're if you're a great presenter but you've got nothing to say then that kind of says you've got an empathy deficit because if I had nothing to say, I wouldn't be a great presenter. I'd be really nervous and ashamed. Mm, so yeah, I think that answers it, but maybe not. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. If, if you've got something great that you've done, it shouldn't be difficult to present on, right? Even if you're not the best presenter. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of very charming people out there, or not not a lot of people. There are some charming people out there who have no substance. Um, but again, this is coming back to the point of credibility and authenticity that's so important. Developers being a skeptical bunch will see through that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you had brought up the subject of uh, competing with Google, Microsoft, Amazon as far as developer relations goes. Um, so uh, developer evangelists, they span big and small then, right? Small companies as well as large companies. Would you say that, I mean, and you may not have the personal experience from this, but would you say that uh, the experience maybe is more enjoyable at, at a small versus a large or a large versus a small? 
I don't know. I mean, um, I know I have friends who work at the big three and they have, uh, they have experiences that are enjoyable and experiences that aren't so much. Um, so look, let's abstract it out. Sure. One of the, one of the problems with working for a very large company is that the overall impact you can have is somewhat limited unless you get lucky or extremely talented. Um, and also, I mean, I was in a meeting the other day with not one of the big three, but with a much more traditional company in the UK. And there were some fundamental things wrong with their developer portal that we were talking about. And it's going to be six months before they can fix those problems because of red tape budgets and things like that. The company has the money. But they, you know, it, it's just hard to get things fixed and get things done in a company of that size. Um, whereas if you're in a startup, you know, you can you can move fast and, uh, and and get things done. But the flip side is that you don't have any money a lot of the time, or you're the only person doing this. So, like, I think being in a big company is really great if what you're looking for in your career is. Um, lots of support from other parts of the organization. And also uh, you want to get big things done that you, or that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. If you want to be in a smaller company, then I think that's great for being able to have an outsized impact compared to what you'd have elsewhere. Um, but, you know, you'll probably, you'll probably have less support. And I think, I think there are certain scenarios in both types of company where you can be overworked. And this is a really big problem in, in, in DevRel um, is burnout. I know burnout's a problem everywhere. We're not, we're not a special uh, um, in, case in, in, in some ways, but in other ways we are because, you know, people are traveling a lot. There are mismatched assumptions. You know, one of the big sources of stress in the world is that um, you're doing something that, um, it's not clear to you why you're doing it or or it's not clear to your superiors why you're doing it. Um, and so people do burn out in DevRel because of the travel, because it's not well understood by everyone in the organization um, and because they have lack of strategy. And so people are just kind of almost scattergun approach to what they're doing. Um, and I think in a small organization, it's easier to get burnt out. In a large organization, um, it's probably easier to get really frustrated at, at, at the slow pace, but of course it depends. I mean, when you talk about the three, the big three, um, I, I, from what I see, they have the buy-in of senior management. They have big budgets, but you know, they're big companies. And so things might move a bit slower, but I I'd say they look pretty comfortable places to work. Yeah, fair enough. I don't have any experience with the bigger companies, so I can't speak uh, from experience, only from the little ones. Um, in regards to actually do, performing the function of a developer evangelist, how does one get measured in terms of performance uh, within their team or organization? How how do you justify that being an evangelist is actually a thing that your company needs, basically? it all, Yeah, it, it all comes down to that... Um to that initial strategy because if you have a strategy for the year um that starts with saying what are the things we want to achieve what are the what are the objectives 
for this team. And then out of that, the programs come to move the needle towards those objectives. And a lot of the time what happens is people say, ah, we need to do meetups. We need to do content. Uh, okay, now we need to find some goals or measurements that justify doing that. And that's the wrong way around. It's got to start with what are the things that we want to change? How are we going to measure the change? So once you have a strategy and objectives and ways to measure that, and you have the tactics in place that will hopefully get you towards the objectives, then it becomes less about justifying yourself to the organization by, you know, saying what what good it is you're bringing. And it's more about getting that upfront buy-in from senior management that these are the right objectives and you have the right strategy to lead you to achieve them. But, you know, there are some things that typically are, are taken as measurements. Um, if it's content, then um, on a kind of fairly unsophisticated level, it could be that you're measuring just how many people look at your, your posts. Um, I've worked in a team where it wasn't even how many people are looking at it. It's how many posts can you get out in a week? How many tweets can you do in a week? You know, that, that kind of, that kind of, uh, activity based metric, I think is possibly interesting as a team internal one, but actually I'm very skeptical of whether it is what you really want to be doing is saying, how did we move things in a way that supports the, the business's uh, goals? So rather than saying how many blog posts did I write or saying how many people read my blog posts, it's how many people signed up to get an API key as a result of reading my blog post? Or rather than saying how many conferences did I speak at, it's more a case of what can we measure in those localities in the couple of weeks after that conference talk that somehow contributes towards our goals. And again, it might be signups to the API key or a download of a um, you know tooling or, or some kind of infrastructure software. But it really does differ. And it's again, this is where we come back to actually a lot of its marketing. You know, it it probably is going to be the things that make a difference to the bottom line that get measured. And this is where some developer relations people get a little bit upset because I think DevRel sometimes tends to attract people who are less commercially minded. Um, and from a, and, and that's a deliberate choice for, for, you know, ideological or philosophical reasons. And that's a totally legitimate choice to make, but that there is a tendency, very broadly speaking, for some people in DevRel to feel that all of the wonderful things that they're doing don't get recognized. But the problem is that it's hard to measure all of the wonderful things that they do um, if there isn't a good strategic framework in place. And a good strategic framework might say that they have to stop doing some of the things that they like doing um, because they don't contribute towards the strategy. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I just worry a bit that sometimes there's a, a, a lack of business reality in the way that people think about DevRel. Sure. Um, yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this uh, one more time to a, a different topic here. Um, so when it comes to being a developer evangelist, um, usually when you're speaking at an event, um, you're you're probably building up your own brand as well as the organization's brand, right? Because you're you're obviously representing yourself when you're speaking as well. Do you agree? Yeah, and uh, you know one of the things that you do, particularly as you move on through your career, is you're lending your credibility to the company that you work for. Um, and so you've got to be really careful when choosing an employer that you trust them with your reputation. Um, so I've got a friend who uh, worked for a company and she found that her bosses were sending out spammy emails to developers signed by her. And she hadn't given her permission to do that. Um, and you know, that had a big potential to, you know, give a, 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 a reputation hit for her. And there's this, there's this concept in relationship marketing of the well of forgiveness, right? So you build up goodwill with people and, you know, your well of forgiveness with them fills up. And so that allows you to screw up a couple of times. Um, but each time you do, the well of forgiveness is drained to a greater or lesser amount, depending on how bad the the problem is. And I, so I think that if you are align yourself with a company by working for them um, and they start doing things that aren't so great, then your well of forgiveness with people might, might be drained um, uh, over a period of time. And so, yeah, when you're doing DevRel, you're building your personal brand uh, as much as I'm not a big fan of that phrase. Um, you're building your reputation, but also you're lending that to the company. And if you work for a really great company, then their reputation will uh, boost you. Um, and it won't just be a, a one-way thing. But yeah, you've, you've got to be careful when you choose where you work, I think, in DevRel. So, I mean, what if what if you started out somewhere that was great, everything was good, uh, your reputation was helping the company and the company's reputation was helping you, but at some point in time, like like the scenario that you mentioned where there was emails going out, what if they ask you to do something that could damage your own reputation or just do it without your knowledge? I mean, in those scenarios, um, do you try to rectify it or do you move on or how do you how do you redeem yourself from that? Because that's a pretty damaging scenario, right? It is. And, and you know, Twitter isn't very forgiving or social media generally isn't very forgiving. Um, and I, I think it depends on the individual situation and I'm not trying to, uh, for that to be a cop out, but, sure. um, you know, it, it's, it depends on how big of a reputation you have beforehand. And I think that will, if we talk about that well of forgiveness, if, if people are willing to forgive you because they know you from previous exploits, um, then, uh, you're probably okay, and you can say, "Look, this was a situation. I'm sorry." But really, the the real thing we've got to answer here is, can I afford to lose this job? And many of us go into work because we have bills to pay, and we're not independently wealthy. Um, and so, it's not always possible just to walk away from a job. And that's when, you know, I've seen people who get very stressed by this and quite rightly so because you know it takes time to line up something else right and i think one of the big problems is that 
even though there's this idea that people in tech broadly can just walk into another job, I think that's um, Silicon Valley privilege speaking, really. And I know that you're close to the valley, uh, not directly in it, I think. I mean, you're in a valley, right? But close enough. Um, but I, I know one. what you're talking yeah. about when it comes to Silicon Valley privilege, and it's uh, it's a crazy thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, I I imagine where you live, it's kind of creeping back into normality a bit. But um, like in most of the world, people can't just walk into another job, and so you do have to make a decision about: Do I pay my rent or my mortgage this month, or do I compromise my integrity until? I can get another job. And I think I think DevRel hiring is is kind of a, a bit weird, let's say. Sure. Um because there is so little understanding in a lot of companies about what the hell these people are supposed to be doing. That you know, someone who's who could be a really great DevRel person in one company is just ignored by another company. Um and so Although there is a shortage of of DevRel people, um, and I can, you know, I could point people to a whole long list of DevRel um, vacancies. It's it's not always easy to walk into a job, and so you do have to have this awful moral quandary of do I pay the rent or whatever else it might be, versus um, taking a stand and doing the right thing for your own reputation. I don't have an answer. I think it depends on individual circumstances, but I would never, I would never begrudge someone um, being, you know, feeding themselves or their family um, whilst something unpalatable happened at their employer. Sure. Um, because, you know, Maslow's hierarchy and all that, you know, be, feeling good about where you work is um, less important than being able to pay the bills, I think. Yeah. But ultimately, you, you have to get out of that situation. Yeah, in the end, it'd be a good idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, let's let's wrap this show up. I mean, is there any last-minute words of wisdom or, or feedback or anything that you've seen um, in the field uh, when it comes to developer evangelism that you'd kind of like to share with the listeners of this show? I don't know about wisdom, but I would say that I think I think things are getting, I think we're on the cusp of developer relations going mainstream. And from the tech bubble point of view, it's easy to think it's already mainstream. Um, but, you know, banks are hiring developer advocates. Um, Capital One spent a lot of time uh, at student hackathons uh, and still do. Um, and I've seen companies that I would never in a million years have expected to do DevRel actually spinning up DevRel functions. So I think the era of us worrying about what developer relations precisely is and so on is, is coming to a close. But it's up to us in developer relations to steer that story because if we don't, then it'll be people who don't have a good grasp on it um who end up steering the story um i think even some of us in developer relations don't do the rest of the devrel world any favors um i do think there's this kind of 
slightly countercultural uh, tendency within Devrel, and that's totally fine. But I think if you're too whimsical, too um, anti-corporate in your persona, then you know it'll be the people who who aren't like that who end up getting to say what Devrel is and end up getting taken seriously. Um, and so we need to be very careful about making sure that within DevRel, we don't just, you know, it's not all memes and silly jokes uh, in the way that we present ourselves. And I'm not saying that that is the majority of DevRel, but there are one or two trends in DevRel right now, uh, DevRel people, that are just harmless on the surface, but you have to question how they're taken uh, by outsiders in terms of our credibility as a as a part of the business so words of wisdom not so much but just i think watch this space in terms of how relevant devrel becomes but also uh, a, a caution that we in devrel right now need to be very careful about how we present ourselves to the outside world awesome and then just for a shameless plug for you i think you're the uh organizer of a particular de- developer relations conference right Oh, yeah. So um, DevRelCon is a global series with uh, the next one is November 7th and 8th in London. Um, So far, we have um, a bunch of speakers announced, but there'll be more coming. Um, And then, you know, it has editions in Tokyo, uh, different cities in China, um, San Francisco and it looks very likely that we'll have a Melbourne edition uh, coming up and maybe even one in Sao Paulo. And yeah, go to devrel.net if you want more on that. Yeah, and that's that would be a great opportunity for people who are not only currently developer evangelists, but maybe people who are interested in getting into the field too, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's we call it a conference and we do have talks and so on, but really it's um, it's a networking opportunity. Awesome. And I think that's that's the main the main value you get out of it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Matthew, to talk about developer oh, evangelism. Um, and uh, I'm sure my listeners will get a huge benefit out of this. Well, thank you, and thank you very much for for um, for inviting me. And uh, I would say as well, you know, if, if anyone wants to chat, um, uh, my my email, my, sorry, well, my my DMs is what I'm trying to say. My DMs on Twitter are, are open. So I'm I'm very happy to talk. And your Twitter handle is what? Uh, very boring. It's Matthew Ravel, my name. <laughs> All right, perfect. And I'll add long. that to the show notes as well. Cool. Thanks. Like I mentioned before, I am in the developer advocacy space, and I actually did have the pleasure to actually work side-by-side with Matthew Ravel um, a few years back. I actually got into developer evangelism through the Polyglot developer. As a very short history lesson, Uh, When I started the Polyglot Developer, I started it as just a blog for documenting my work because I was a full-time software engineer. Um, And as time progressed, I found out that my work was helping others. Um, I was helping them become successful. Um, And that's kind of what developer evangelism in my mind is, is, is helping with developer success so that way they have the information they need to make educated decisions on the software they want to use, which is exactly what Matthew was talking about. As of right now, um, doing the developer evangelist thing, I spend a lot of time writing code. I spend a lot of time writing tutorials on uh, using the code that I wrote. 
I even take that same code and I present about it uh, at conferences. So it's kind of like a full spectrum. It, it's kind of what I use to get my message across for the products that I'm representing. If you enjoyed this episode and you're listening to it from somewhere like iTunes or another podcast network that allows for ratings and reviews, it would mean a lot to me if you left it a five-star uh, rating. And then if you could leave a review, just say something nice about the episode, something that you found beneficial, so that way other future potential listeners will get an idea on what they're getting themselves into. If you want to get some awesome tutorials and other content, just go ahead and head over to the Polyglot Developer blog. It's thepolyglotdeveloper.com. If you want to reach out to me personally, my Twitter handle is at nraboy, or you could even use the Polyglot Developer Twitter handle, which is polyglotdev. And that concludes episode number 21.